0: Welcome to the Power Podcast and our 2020 theme, Power Perspective. I'm Malia Warner. This is episode 73, Home Sewn Panties. Hi, everyone. I have something fun for you today. There are times when we take on heavy things, hard things, and then there are times when we just need something a little more light. And if that's what you're in for today, this is for you. First of all, I have to say... Wow, this weekend has been the launch of the paperback version of Lies of the Magpie and oh my goodness, thank you to everyone who has contributed to make the launch out of this world. It has exceeded my expectations, my wildest hopes. Today, the paperback version of Lies of the Magpie is the number one hot new release in motherhood, in postpartum depression, even in like self-help and psychology in some other strange categories. I think also in like homeopathy, so just other topics that are mentioned in the book. So woo! How about that? Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to Look it up on Amazon. Thank you for purchasing. And most of all, thank you for reading and loving the book and then messaging me with how you related to it and parts that stood out to you. This has been an amazing week connecting with readers. We had our second book club discussion over Zoom Thursday night. And wow, that as an author is just the most rewarding experience to sit with, even virtually, readers and hear their personal journeys and their personal experiences with characters from the book. Also, a huge thank you if you have taken the time to go and leave a review on Amazon. And I know there are some of you that have tried to leave a review and Amazon has blocked it. Amazon is extremely Extremely picky about family, friends, leaving reviews. So I thank you. I know it takes time to do that. And for an author, those reviews are just gold. So thank you so much for leaving a review or for attempting to leave a review. I could not be more ecstatic. And so today, as a thank you and for fun, I want to share with you selections from my next book. Yes, in the middle of all of this, I am still trying to write and keep the stories going. When you get to the end of reading Lies of the Magpie, you'll notice that you can go to my website and click on some samples from this book. And so I wanted you as my podcast audience to also be able to be the first to hear these bits and pieces from the work entitled Home Panties. This is the story of my adventures growing up in a coal mining town in rural eastern Utah, raised as an ardent, active Democrat, and trying to balance my Mormonism and feminism all while wearing home-sewn clothing, There are, and there will be, a lot of colorful and insightful anecdotes that chronicle my childhood and coming of age in a hay-filled, alkali-ridden town in the heart of Castle Valley, Utah. So my friends, I present for your listening enjoyment, selections from Home Sewn Panties by Malia Day Warner. I watched out my family's front room window as the power plant in the distance puffed circles of smoke in the sky. For years, I believed that all the clouds in the sky had been made by the power plant. Like Rumpelstiltskin spun straw into gold, the power plant turned black coal into electricity. The black chunks of coal were dug out of the dark bellies of mountains and sent out into the daylight in mining carts. All day, every day. Loads of coal exited mouths of mines as if the mountains were regurgitating their million-year-old dinners of partially digested dinosaurs and Cenozoic plant life. Had these petroleum-rich feasts been completely digested, the weary miners wouldn't be going home with soot-covered faces, but would sparkle with the dust of diamonds. This is my home ground, Near diamond incubators, interrupted because to survive we needed substance more precious than diamonds? Coal. And every day the mine carts were emptied into trucks. The trucks bumped down the dirt mountain roads around my hometown and emptied their loads into piles at the door of the power plant, which would spin the coal into electric power, enough to light up five western states. There are two things that can tell you a lot about a person their name, and their underwear. Obviously, one is brought up more openly in public, but in general, both are worn on a daily basis. My name, Malia, is a Hawaiian name, which roughly translated means beautiful lily of the swamp that has been trampled by water buffalo. I'm not Hawaiian, but if you fancy the above translation, then the name fits me like a smelly sock. How a coal miner's daughter from rural eastern Utah ended up with a Hawaiian name Reminds me of the time I asked my husband if he'd ever read Haim Potok's The Chosen. He said, I loved that book. Then he proceeded to mistakenly call the main characters Danny and Christian, which made me laugh so hard that I fell off the bed onto the floor where Aaron tickled me until I wet my pants. Served me right for teasing him, but I couldn't help but be amused by the idea of a Jewish author deliberately choosing to call one of his main Jewish characters by the name of Christian. But who knows? Had Haim Potok written The Chosen in 2020, he might have very well named his main character Christian. It's a stunning world we live in and nearly anything is possible. Like the fact that I was raised in rural eastern Utah by active Mormon Democrats, Or perhaps I should say active Democratic Mormons. Or like the fact that I never owned a pair of store-bought underwear until I was in my 20s. It's true. I grew up wearing home-sewn panties. For years, I kept this secret as carefully concealed and out of sight as I kept my hand-stitched flowered cotton briefs, fearing others might judge me an unsophisticated country bumpkin. Now, with a few years of experience and perspective, read birthdays, under my belt, I view the prior curse of hiding my homespun undies from other girls in the P.E. locker room as a blessing of being literally clothed in my mother's homemade love. The history of my underclothing is, and I just can't help myself from using this pun, rather revealing. What I've worn close to my skin tells a story about my aspirations, And my thriftiness. Some people might call me cheap, stingy, or even tightwad. I prefer the term frugal, or better yet, resourceful. Thank you very much. I'll keep my thoughts on what is intimate and close to my skin and heart G rated. This book is full of thoughts regarding the awkward marriage of ambition and adulthood, falling in love, blending fantasy and mortgage payments, searching for happily ever after in the middle of, oh my gosh, really? and tales of how I learned to balance feminism and Mormonism all while wearing home-sewn clothing. Like my clothing, my mother put together a name to fit me, stitched from pieces of this and that she had picked up along the way. Originally, she had intended to name me Elaine, a simple name, plain and easy like Jane. No offense to any Elaines or Janes out there, but I'm glad my grandmother intervened when my mother's belly was six months stretched around me. Grandma told my mother of a sunny Sunday morning when a dark-haired Hawaiian girl had visited her Sunday school class. The girl's name was Malia. The name seemed to stick in my mother's head, a sing-song kind of name that chimed like bells as she did dishes or rested in her rocking chair crocheting booties, or sat at her sewing machine stitching burp rags. Eventually, the ring of, Malia, Malia... Pushed Elaine out, and when I was born, Malia was the only label that fit. Not knowing the name's origin or spelling, my parents spelled it like it sounded to them, like the Hebrew name, Leah. I grew up in a one-horse town in the heart of the San Rafael Desert, rural eastern Utah, where the town council saved money by printing, You are now entering town, and You are now leaving town on the same billboard. I love that place. I don't know if it's from the alkali in the soil, but the people there are the salt of the earth. It was the best place to grow up. Still, I wouldn't recommend visiting there. The population of my little community numbered slightly more than a crowd at the City Kmart on a Saturday, if you added in the livestock. Castle Dale, Utah never had any electric traffic lights. But I remember how the attempt at installing a four-way stop really gummed up traffic. I mean, everybody knows that those diesel tractors tend to die after coming to a complete halt. Something about the fuel intake, blah, blah, blah. And it could take 30 minutes to get their engines turning over and another 30 minutes for them to cross Main Street going five miles an hour. So when approaching an intersection alongside a Chalmers, you're better to wave the tractor on through. My great-great-grandparents came to eastern Utah in covered wagons, part of the migration of Mormon pioneers. Family legend holds that great-grandpa Abraham would hike to the peak of a snow-covered mountain in search of good building timber. He'd chop the trees and slide them down the mountain like wooden toboggans. At the end of the day, Abe would hop aboard his last tree and speed down to the bottom of the canyon where he'd left his horse and wagon, parked since dawn. I read today that one way to predict a child's full-grown height is to calculate The height of the father plus the height of the mother. Add five inches for a boy, subtract five inches for a girl, then divide that number by two. It works remarkably well. My dad's height, 80 inches. My mom's height, 63 inches, equals 143 inches, subtract for a girl, minus 5 equals 138 inches, divided by 2 equals 69 inches. 5 foot 9 inches is the exact height of my two sisters. Of eight kids in our family, I am the shortest, the runt, the fifth-born child, Malia, the smushed swamp lily, the great-great-granddaughter of Mormon pioneers, the daughter of rural Utah Democrats, a small-town girl with home-sewn panties and a Hebrew-Christian Bible spelling of the same Polynesian name as the first daughter of a Hawaiian-born African-American U.S. president. Isn't it a funny world? A funny And a small, small world. I come from a long line of remarkable mothers. I suppose you could say that mothering was in my genes. In 1873, my great great grandmother, Mary Julia Mortensen, sailed by boat from Denmark at age nine. She later married a Danish boy who had voyaged on the exact ship, but they'd never met until eight years later when they both landed in the same settlement out west of the Colorado River. Great-grandmother Esther rode a pony to school and skipped ahead grades in order to quickly finish 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grades. She began playing the organ in church at the age of 12. She was hired to work in the home of Mr. Larson, nursing the failing Mrs. Larson and caring for the children. When Mrs. Larson died, Esther married Mr. Larson and inherited seven children, to which she promptly added one baby girl, my grandmother, followed in 20 months by another daughter. When my grandmother was the tender age of three years old, her father asked Esther for a divorce. Eventually, Esther moved back home, where, with the help of her mother, Mary Julia, her father, and her siblings, she raised all nine children. In 1933, my grandmother Evelyn was nominated to run for editor of her high school newspaper, The Blue and White. She started to campaign but contracted the measles, missing three weeks of school and the elections. Her winning opponent asked her to be his associate editor and graciously allowed her to do most of the work, especially writing the editorials. She desperately aspired to go to college, but wondered how she could afford to pay tuition Her grandmother, Mary Julia, had never attended a day of school in her life, but had taught herself to read and write both Danish, her native language, and English, and she had become an ardent student of the dictionary and of history. Since her days of hunger and illness as a child in Denmark, Mary Julia's most cherished dream was to see someone in her family graduate from college. At age 71, Grandma Mary Julia decided to move to school with Evelyn and open a boarding house for boys. The summer after Evelyn's high school graduation, the two planted an enormous vegetable garden and bottled the harvest to feed the hungry students. Evelyn was able to provide her own meals and housing, and the rent from boarders covered the cost of her tuition. In their fourth year, Grandmother Mary Julia fell ill and returned home leaving Evelyn alone to run the boarding house and finish her senior coursework. Grandma Mary Julia Clausen died December 4, 1938, six months short of seeing her granddaughter, Evelyn, graduate from college. Of the experience, my grandmother wrote, Many discouraging days during my last year at college were overcome because my grandma was expecting me to succeed. Graduating from college was a fulfillment of Grandma Evelyn's dream. She had always watched older boys and girls who chatted together easily and unselfconsciously and envied them the art. From her history, I garner that my grandmother perceived college as an opportunity for social expansion, refinement, and personal growth, not as a stepping stone to a salaried career, though she had the skills, even at that time, to become a professional woman. My grandfather waited for her to finish college, knowing it was something she desperately wanted to do. When she graduated, they married. I believe she always intended to work as a mother, full-time and without wages. She got her wish 12 times over, expanding their family to seven strapping boys and five astute girls. Family folklore holds that after laboring for over 24 hours with her 12th baby, Grandma Evelyn said, Doctor, is there any way to not have to go through this again? The doctor answered, Yes, Evelyn. Have one glass of water before bed and nothing else. My mother came fourth in the lineup of Evelyn's twelve offspring. The dairy and sugar beet farm didn't bring enough income to send a daughter to college with eight children still at home to feed. My mother begged her dad to allow her to go away to college, With his reluctant consent, she found a job canning green beans to earn one year's tuition. That first year, she met my father. He was hard to miss, a towering 6-foot-8-inch senior who had already attracted the eyes and ambitions of multiple co-eds on campus. My mother, towering at 5-foot-3 inches in high heels, won his heart. If there were a doctorate of mothering degree, my mother would have it. She possessed an innate aptitude for nurturing, knowing how to soothe a colicky infant, how to get a stubborn toddler to eat, and how to coax eight children who, according to her, didn't have a still bone in their body, to sit quietly during church. She made mothering look simple, as natural as breathing, and I expected to catch on to mothering as instinctually as a fish swims in water and a bird takes to the air. My mother as did the chain of women who preceded her, valued education, work, self-improvement, and lifelong learning. These women all lived in a way that the greatest purpose for their education was to pass the benefits on to their posterity. I came into the picture in the mid-1970s, somewhere between the philosophies of mothering is the greatest calling on earth and women can do better than just being mothers, which left me asking, If the role of a woman is to educate and improve herself so that she can pass on a better life for her children, then her daughter does the same, and her granddaughter does the same, which generation is meant to stop the giving, the passing down, and simply be the recipient? And where did I fit into the chain of giving? Should I be one of the selfless women who lives and gives for the next generation, or do I choose to take their sacrifice and benefit myself, after all, if women constantly give and pass down, then whoever really benefits? From a young age, I felt the angst of choosing between self sacrificing service for the benefit of my posterity or halting the trend, hoarding all the gifts of my female predecessors for myself and passing nothing on to the next generation. I didn't have the answer, but one thing I knew for certain out of this long chain of remarkable women, I did not want to be the weakest link. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to go to MaliaWarner.com and sign up to be on my book news list. That is a different list than my Monday Message podcast list. This list is where I specifically give information about book releases, book tours, book sales, book specials, contests, and giveaways. And I don't share the same information on both pages and you don't have to choose one or the other. You can be on both. You can be both a subscriber to the Inspirational Monday message and receive the podcast in your email every Monday. And you can also be a subscriber to the Malia Warner book news list, where you will always be the first one to know about the next book, about any exciting book world adventures. So you can click on maliawarner.com. It's on the front page to sign up for the book news list. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing my author journey. As always, I'm Malia Warner, and I will meet you back here next week for another great episode of The Power Podcast. Until then, be safe, stay healthy. Bye-bye, my friends.